What's going on, folks? It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh, and we're here to give you a part four of Lord of the Rings today, where we're going to cover the differences between the novel, The Fellowship of the Ring, and the film, The Fellowship of the Ring, part one. It's going to be a great time to uh, kind of see where things stand on paper and on screen. I know you guys have probably remembered the times we have did this with the Harry Potter series, and there were some of our favorite episodes to do, so I'm looking forward to switching gears and doing it here with Lord of the Rings and kind of seeing how it goes. You know, I know we've kind of put out three episodes so far with Lord of the Rings where it's tackled everything in the novel. We've split it right off at the end where Frodo agrees to take the ring uh, from the Council of Elrond at the, in the novels, and that's kind of where the movie kind of breaks off too, and so that's why we decided today we're going to do the part one of it Obviously, I know with Harry Potter, Chase and I would do the full movie at the end of the novels, but man, with these extended editions, you'd be looking at like four hours of just film time, so it was going to be really tough to do it, so we decided to break it up into halves, so we're going to do part one of the movie here today. Before we jump into it, turn it over to Chase, say a few words, and we'll get right to it. Let's do this, man. It's uh, you know what's wild was I was watching this movie and I was like, part one. This can't be too bad. Like an hour or something, right? Two hours for part one because these extended editions. But I was impressed, man. We'll talk about it at the end. But yeah, man. Let's let's get it going. Let's dive right into it. Cool. Sounds like a plan to me. Let's go ahead and raise our glasses in the air. Cheers to uh, Peter Jackson, the director of these uh, awesome films. You know, we're gonna talk a little bit about what things like we like and I'll be honest like before we even get into it there's some things the movie did that weren't in the novels that I almost kind of like what the the movies did better than the book it's crazy but you know we're gonna talk a little bit about that so yeah you know glasses in the sky let's uh let's drink up and let's dive right into it cheers brother malice in the chalice man cheers so what we'll do is we'll kind of do the same thing we've done in the past where we'll bounce like three or five differences like ourselves and go off to the next person and you know kind of shift it back and forth until we reach the end there and I kind of want Chase to kind of start off and take it away here and give us his first five differences that he noticed between the film and the and the novel and we'll go from there yeah I, I mean I love the opening by the way I thought the opening was awesome and I was impressed with this movie, man. I mean, we still got a lot to watch, but I was impressed so far. Uh, I usually don't read things, and I don't have a lot to read, but I do like this opening that Galadriel says because it talks more about really kind of the overall history around it, and I thought they did it really well. And um, you hear her voice, and she says, The world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was lost... For none now love who remember it, the Lord of the Rings. It began with the forging of the great three rings that were given to the elves, the immortal, the fairest, and the wisest of all beings. Seven to the dwarf lords, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls, and nine. Nine rings were given to the race of men, and above else desire power. For within these rings were bound strength to govern each race, but they were all of them deceived, for another ring was made. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged a secret master ring to control all others into the ring he poured his cruelty. His malice will dominate all life, one ring to rule them all, one by one of the free lands in Middle-earth to fall the power of the ring. But there were some who resisted. 
A last alliance of men and elves marched against the armies of Mordor and slopes of Mount Doom that fought for freedom in Middle-earth. And then it shows like the back history of everything. But the reason I had that was because I just thought it was a little bit different than like when we did, uh, you know, you read the Lord of the Rings introduction. I like this because it kind of describes uh, more on like the abilities of the different races and kind of gives a little bit more of a history and more of a quick roundabout way versus when the book started. It almost seems so damn slow, man. Like, why do I want to know the history of the entire Hobbit book? So I just like the way they did that. Um, next kind of difference here that I have is um, Bilbo is kind of giving the narration of the Hobbits, um, kind of like telling facts about them versus you had, it was, remember when it went into really depth in the book and it was talking about like their museum with artifacts and like what they all did. Bilbo kind of talks more about the Hobbits and like what their uh, abilities are versus like even mentioning they had the Hobbit police. Um, Gandalf also is kind of, uh, you know, at this point, like, yeah, he lights the fireworks and stuff, but you already have like Merry and Pippin being introduced right away with some of the fireworks and stuff at Bilbo's birthday party. So I like kind of the way they just jumped right into it. So those were kind of the first differences I had there. What about you? So yeah, it was interesting because one of the biggest things that I noticed is that Gandalf gives Frodo the backstory of everything that happens in the lead up to where the ring kind of finds Bilbo in the novels. Where in the, in the film here, it like you said, it's Galadriel kind of going through a, a brief recap. I did think it was cool to be able to see it on screen and kind of see the war and the big battle towards the, the end of that dark age there. It was kind of cool to see it. But another thing I noticed too is that where it, it kind of jumps around in the film because it goes back and forth to that period in time but it leaves out certain things and fills those things in later as the films go on where in the in the book it kind of tells you exactly what happens right off the bat when we get the final explanation of everything when when Gandalf gives Frodo the rundown of where the ring came from how it fell to Bilbo and now how it's with him like obviously it doesn't start like that right in the beginning of the novels but it's like one of the first five chapters where Gandalf gets into it after like Bilbo's birthday party he goes and does his like errands and stuff but so yeah that was the, the, the introduction and the that prologue-esque type thing was a little bit different and uh, it, it was kind of cool to see uh then we get you know, obviously the creation of the rings you know we get into Sauron's backstory the last stand of the men and elves right away uh, it shows the ring. What I also thought was kind of cool, too, we've never really seen, or has it been described in the books yet, anyways, exactly how Sauron was able to use the ring as a weapon. Where in this film, you, also, you saw him like with it on his finger, and like he swung his little, I don't know, I don't call it uh, a mace, but something. He had his little, his little staff thingy, and it was flinging people halfway across the, the land and stuff. So, like, we got to see, actually, the power of the ring and what abilities it has. Where in, in the novels, you don't really get an idea. You just, like, know it has some level of strength, but it doesn't show or describe exactly how he uses it and weaponizes it, if that makes sense. So, I thought that was a cool, like, key difference that I wanted to highlight. Another one, too, is that if you remember... And this is kind of what I'm talking about how the movie jumps back and forth between a few 
of the scenes of the past and the present. Where in the novel, we kind of hear about Smeagol and Gollum getting the ring right away. Like we get that whole thing of how he killed Deagle and how like uh, he had he was like a little he basically lived like a hobbit himself in a weird town that was similar and uh, how basically Gollum's little backstory. We we get that pretty quickly in, in the books where all we really got was saying like the the ring found the creature Gollum and he went off to the caves and the and the know, misty mountains or something and then you know we don't get a good backstory just yet. It obviously doesn't show him killing Deagle just yet. It doesn't show how the ring came into his possession, like the full story behind it. All we see is like him taking the ring and having it in his hand and then turning into like more of a creature, like as opposed to where in the books we get a real big, you know, long excerpt of what actually happened from the start. And, you know, just me remembering the films, I know we'll get that later on. It just was different how they ordered it there. So it's kind of cool. Uh, another one that I wanted to mention as well too is that uh, the, 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 in the books the dwarves are carrying carts for the things that are party related for Bilbo. Dwarves don't make an appearance until the Council of Elrond in the movies. So it was interesting to see, like, like that's one thing I totally forgot and I know I mentioned it in the first episode that we did here covering the first few chapters is that you know dwarves are introduced pretty quickly right away. And then, you know, it, it kind of makes sense, too, if you think about how big of a role the dwarves played in the movie The Hobbit and also the, the novel The Hobbit. So to have it just kind of them there. But if you'd never read The Hobbit, like, dwarves are supposed to be, like, you know, another race that you, you know, you draw to, sort of like the elves. Uh, but they made such an early appearance in the book that I forgot about it. And, you know, we don't see them in the movie until, like I said, the Council of Elrond. And the last one I'll, I'll talk about, too, before I turn it back over to Chase is that... Uh, like in the in the book, Gandalf stays for a long time with Bilbo in Bag End, leading up to Bilbo's party. And the film, he's like only there for a day. Like he shows up in his little cart, he goes there, enjoys the party, and then that whole thing with the ring happens, and then he like leaves the next day. Like he stayed for days on end in the book. So it was just interesting that the, the concept of time is just wildly different. I think that's what the biggest thing I've noticed in the first parts of the the film is the concept of time just seems very different between the novel and the film. So that's what I'll you know leave it over on my end here. I'll turn it back over to Chase, and he'll give the next few differences he noticed. Yeah, uh, the next one I I gotta give it to Ian McKellen. Is that how you say his name? You, you, that plays Gandalf. I think so, Sir Ian McKellen, right? Yeah. Yeah, dude, he did a really good job. Like honestly, like all the actors I've seen so far were have been fantastic. Um, I do really like how he acted out that moment where. He was, you know, uh, Bilbo was accusing him of, like, trying to rob him of the ring. And it kind of, like, almost seemed even darker in a way. And he just said, Bilbo Baggins, do not take me as some conjurer of some cheap tricks. I'm not trying to rob you. And I just love the way it was done. He played that role to a T. Fantastic. If only he could have played Dumbledore. Just throwing that out there, he probably would have done fantastic. <laughs> but, but I, I just thought he played that role really well. Uh, but it almost seemed like a little bit darker in a way. I uh, gotta say too, it was badass seeing those ring wraiths, man. Uh, one thing that was a really cool ad was uh, like the first time we saw them. You saw them galloping out of like the. I guess it was Mordor, but it looked like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> like that green tower there. It was fucking really cool. Um, I really like how it did have 
uh, Gandalf was reading through the notes and recounting of a sealed door in the ring. And um, he, he was he actually said this quote, he said, the markings upon the band begin to fade and the writings, which at first was clear and red flame, has all but disappeared as a secret now that only fire can tell. And it was just like a badass ad, some of the dialogue and writing that they put in there in such a interesting way that they were able to speed it up and keep the audience's attention. Because I think that's one thing. Uh, the novels, it's such a hard read, I think, for especially younger people, too. Um, because as you've seen here, like J.R.R. Tolkien, he takes a really long time explaining things. And that's just one thing I've seen. Like Some of the quick dialogue ads make sense of things really quick where they're able to speed it up but get the overall plot story going on a, um, a very close close level compared to what's going on in the novels. So and, uh, back to you, man. Sounds like a plan. And to kind of stick with the theme of, of Bilbo and some of the differences I noticed too, because I'm still kind of stuck around the Bilbo party area, the movie doesn't explain that Bilbo and Frodo have the same birthday. And I thought that's kind of minorly important as well because that kind of was a big reason why Bilbo took him in and kind of felt a connection to him. And he was turning like the the coming of age number for the Hobbits. I think it was thirty three, where Bilbo was turning one hundred and eleven. And we got to really get that detailed in the novels, where the movie doesn't mention that at all. It doesn't even mention it was Frodo's birthday. Period. It was just Bilbo's birthday, really, in, in the movie. Like if you didn't read the book, you wouldn't know that was also Frodo's birthday. So I thought that was an, an interesting difference that I think worth notating. Also, in this too, in the book, Gandalf was very adamant about not letting off any fireworks before the party. Remember they all bothering him? They let it off, and he's like, no, not before the party. Where in the film, like, he lets him off for the kids in the back. Like, that was a direct contradiction. Like, that was like, the first thing I saw that, like, what made it... The book said something very specifically, and the movie did the exact opposite. That was one of the very few things I saw that was a direct contradiction, but that was the first one that I definitely noticed. Uh, I did think that they did a little cool add-on with like the smoking shapes from the pipes that Gandalf and Bilbo were smoking on the little bench out there. Like like Bilbo like blew a like a smoke ring and then Gandalf blew a, a, a sailing ship <laughs> in, in smoke and, <laughs> and blew it through the circle that uh, Bilbo had, had, had drawn up with his pipes. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we also got that little cool story that Bilbo told the, the kids about the trolls and we didn't get that in the book, but we know where that comes from, and that you know plays a little bit of a part later on, just for in a, a quick second. And that's also going to be a difference that I bring up later too about like the, the troll story. Um, also, Merry and Pippin doing dishes as punishment for the fireworks uh, that didn't really happen <laughs> in, in the novels, but it was still <laughs> it was cool because it kind of drew us to the level of mischief that the two cause, right? Like, like they kind of gave us an idea like those. Like, Merry and Pippin would kind of be the equivalent of Fred and George and Harry Potter, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, the little troublemakers who are fun, kind-hearted and stuff, but always kind of getting into stuff they probably shouldn't be. That's, you know, I think that was a way to give us that idea. Uh, also, the movie doesn't show all the presents that Bilbo gives to the people of the Shire and his relatives. That was a big thing. Like, he was, like, giving presents to everyone for his own birthday and giving people specific things for specific reasons and writing it out, like silverware and wine and all these different things. Uh, that just, you know, I guess it wasn't wildly important to the plot line, but I thought it was definitely something that I noticed that was the difference between the two. And then the other thing as well, and this one is a, is a pretty big difference, and it's key to the plot line in my opinion, is when Gandalf and Bilbo are having that discussion about the ring, 
Gandalf, he, Bilbo says the words, it's mine, my precious. And, and Gandalf says, it, it's been called that before, but not by you. So it's like right then and there, it seemed as if Gandalf already figured out that that was the Ring of Power. Where in the novel, you know how long it took him to go f- figure these yeah. things out. And, you know, he had like he had like a hunching suspicion that it was possible in the novels. But it seemed like in the movie, like he figured out to me, like, oh, he said my precious. Oh, that's the Ring of Power right there. <laughs> like, now I just got to go prove it to myself, you know. So it just seemed like, uh, I wouldn't say a direct contradiction, but it definitely, it changes things a little bit. Because it almost, like you said, it speeds things up. And this is one of the parts where I like the fact that it slowed it down. Because... Gandalf stayed away for almost the better part of a decade. He stayed away from three years after Bilbo's birthday, came back briefly, left again, then didn't come back for another nine years, right? Yeah. Like, so that is something that I found very, very important, where in the movie he was just there, and all of a sudden he makes these arrangements. All right, this, this is going on. I'm driving, I'm taking my horse to, to Gondor, looking at Isildur's documents, and coming right on back, and they're figuring this out. We're going to put the ring in fire and stuff. So, like, yeah, I don't know. That was one thing I, I, I didn't intentionally love. Uh, also, the other part here, when Frodo tells Gandalf, he's like, you've only just arrived. To me, that leads to evidence that Gandalf's time in the Shire was much shorter in the film than the novel. Just kind of bringing like, my evidence to that as well. Uh, also, and I'm just doing a couple more than five right now to catch up with where, where Chase is at because he was talking about the Black Riders. I've got a few before I get to the Black Riders. In the novel, Gandalf and Aragorn tracked and captured Gollum to get info out of him. Where... Mm-hmm in the movie kind of just blew past that right it just kind of had yeah. Gollum getting tortured in Mordor and he's like Shire Baggins <laughs> and then that was it and that's and that's where you talked about how the Black Riders came out of the gate there of like the, the Black Gates of Mordor after they figured out you know where the ring was and who had it and so now that we're kind of all on the same page here caught up with the Black Riders I'll turn it back over to you and you go through the next few of yours yeah, uh, and then a couple things about the party, I guess. Remember they had that red dragon that was shot off by fireworks from Merry and Pippin? Well, in the novel, that was like a green firework dragon, and it was Gandalf <laughs> that shot it off. It wasn't Merry and Pippin, so... But I thought it was, you know, it was cool the way they introduced him, I guess. But um, another thing, too, like, Bilbo didn't leave Bag End to Frodo or, like, divide up his will at all. <laughs> so, like, you didn't have him, like, leaving, like all this stuff in his will like before he set out on his journey um and then during the scene uh where i thought this was cool this was really cool during the scene where gandalf is like talking to frodo about the ring you see the wraiths again and this was badass like you see one like riding on a horse and swinging the sword and you're assuming it like killed a hobbit but you don't see it it just goes black but i thought they did the wraiths really well like i thought they did the race really well in the film um sam when he does get caught uh instead of like gandalf and frodo laughing like he's not gonna hurt you remember he just gandalf grabs him and goes oh i've got a job for you basically like your ass is coming with me now sam you already signed your ass up but i was okay with it i didn't have a big problem with it um I, I did like this. This was kind of an um, iconic scene that became a great ad. Uh, it was when Sam and Frodo were traveling, and Sam said, if I take one more step, it's the farthest away from home I've ever been. And Frodo said, remember what Bilbo used to say. And then uh, he said, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't leave your feet, 
there's no knowing where you might get swept off to and like that actually became an iconic scene even to today and that was never in the novel so i thought that was a really cool ad you know they can add some cool stuff here and there and then uh i did like frodo and sam see the elves but of course they never saw gildor who was like the most important elf like they saw in the novel so that's where i'm at and back to you man yeah, 100%. That, that was one of the big things, too, and I'll, I'll get there as well. But I, I thought they really... That's one of the few things I thought the movie really should have done well on. But, uh, yeah, also, <clears throat> I know I've already kind of talked about this, but, you know, Gandalf stayed away for most of the decade in the books and came back in, like, two scenes in the movie. But it doesn't mention the evil in Mirkwood that turned out to be Sauron before he went back to Mordor. That was a big part in the book there where the evil was lurking in Mirkwood for a little bit. And Gandalf went in there and, and figured out it was still Sauron. And like it was almost like a bait and trick type of deal where they tried to drive him out of Mirkwood. And that was the, the plan to get him to leave like the, the path to Mordor free. And that's how Sauron got back to Mordor and um, you know had that as a stronghold again. And that just kind of didn't get mentioned at all in, in the film. Uh, in the books, Frodo doesn't leave right away. He waits a while on Gandalf's request. He like even buys a house in Crick Hollow and pretends to have gone through all the money and sells Bag End to the Sackville Bagginses. And none of that happens in the film at all. It's just like, all right, we're we're ready to go now. <laughs> like you know, it's just, they they had the whole conversation. They grab Sam, and all of a sudden they get all bundled up there, and they're ready to go. And the book. They had to wait till a specific month before they went out there. They had all the the the, the time set they sold a lot of their stuff they bought a house in a very humble area they leaked the story that he ran out of money and sold bag end to the last people that you would think because bilbo and frodo never really liked the sackville baggins as they're like the most annoying relatives that they have so i i thought that was interesting that they just completely left that out also in the book it's frodo and sam and pippin that head out together where in the movie it's just frodo and sam at first and like you said, talking about like the elves, like they see the elves at night, and like they have a conversation with them. They have a whole like they set up camp with them in in the books. They have a whole thing, and they go through, like to go through, and even Gildor is talking about how the fact that Gandalf isn't there is troubling to him, and you know they can stay there that night, and they basically gave him like food and water to keep them refreshed and stuff. So it was interesting how none of that happened at all they 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 decide because like, i don't believe i think in the non-extended editions like the regular theatrical version that part with the elves isn't even there at all and i think the extended mm-hmm. edition added the elves walk through but if you're gonna add that like if you're gonna add it like add the fact that they had interaction with them because i thought it was kind of important like, you know and also it, it talked a little bit about how elves will never give straight advice you know one way or the other and you get a little bit into them and who they are as, as creatures and they just they decided they were just gonna watch them sing from a distance in the darkness all right whatever uh, <laughs> then also this is kind of going just a little past that in the book saruman reveals himself as saruman of many colors where it's still saruman the, the white in the films and we never see radagast like radagast was someone who like like gotten gandalf's they came across gandalf and told gandalf hey you need to go check in with saruman now that all this stuff is kind of coming to a head and the guy was like, all right, well, I'm going to go check in now. So Radagast just doesn't make an appearance at all in the movies. And I thought it was important because what he tells him, he's like, tell the, the creatures of the world. like you know, And that ends up being how Gandalf escapes later on is because he told Radagast to, to tell like, the creatures of the earth um, you know, what's going on. And that's exactly how the eagle found him, where in the movie it's a little bit different. It ends up being like 
I don't know if it's like a butterfly or a moth thing that he grabs and talks to. Like, oh, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, the fact that they just left off Radagast and the that why that's important, that conversation with him. I know that they did it their way, and that's fine. But that's just something I noticed as a key difference. Uh, and then also, and I'll turn back over to Chase after this. They ha- We had a really cool addition to the movie where I thought the, the movie did this interaction better than the novel did. It was when Saruman and Gandalf decided to have, like, a wizard battle. Like, we didn't get, like, that What didn't happen in the novel. All they had, like, was a conversation, and, and Saruman just trapped him up on the top of the, the tower. There was no, like, talk of a battle or them swinging the staffs at each other and, you know, beating the shit out of each other until, you know, Saruman grabbed the, the staff back and from Gandalf and, you know, ended up winning that little duel there that they had. There was just no battle at all in the novel. I thought that was a really cool addition. That was a difference that the movie had, and... With that being said, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, that was perfect, because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Because there's a quote in here that's an iconic line that even Jay Nelly and I have used before. Uh, the scene starts when Gandalf walks into Saruman the White, and Saruman the White says, You did not think that the will of a hobbit could contend with Sauron. There are none who can. <laughs> and it, it's kind of like, once I'm uh, Jay Nelly said he was going to try to watch all the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, and I didn't think he could. And he sends me back this gif and said, there are few who can. So, <laughs> real quick, yeah. let's let's talk about that there, because that actual scene comes from one that came earlier. So, that that didn't actually come from Sauron in this part. Like, he, he did say that, oh, and, like, okay. that, that that is for sure, that did happen. He said there are none who can, like, re, like you know, resist Sauron or whatever. But that actually came from the part where Frodo put the ring in the fire. He said, there's markings on it, but I can't read them. And Gandalf says, there are a few who can. Oh, Talking okay. about, like, <laughs> like, reading the markings on the ring. Because it's, like, a certain type of elvish. And that's why, you know, that... So, that's where that, that like, thing that we use all the time comes from, is from... Gandalf saying there are a few who can talking about reading the markings on the ring but you're right someone does say that saying like there are none who can you know resist the power of Sauron basically but yeah so a quick little side note but I'll let you get back to it (laughs) no I love it man it's great uh so I do want to I did actually break down the fight scene (laughs) won't run through it too much but I thought it was really cool because it was a cool ad um but uh Saruman the White um he, he basically closes all the doors and he says against the power of Mordor there can be no victory we must join with him Gandalf we must join with Sauron it would be wise my friend and Gandalf Ian McKellen killed it he said tell me friend when did Saruman the wise abandon reason with madness <laughs> it was awesome I loved it um, and then I actually broke this down Sauron, uh, Saruman the White throws Gandalf against the wall into the ground, and then Gandalf attacks Saruman the White, throwing him to the ground. But Saruman attacks Gandalf four times, and they go blow for blow back to back and forth. But eventually, he starts spinning him on the ground with his staff. Gandalf gets up, and then like force throws Saruman the White out the lead door. But Saruman uses magic to force grab Gandalf's staff and uses both staffs to hold Gandalf towards the ground and says, I gave you the chance of aiding me willingly, but you have elected the way of pain. He uses the staff to like encircle him and throw him all the way up to the top of the tower. And that's all you see. And it looks almost like he smashed into the top of the roof. So... 
Not really important. I thought it was super cool. Just like you said, Jay Nelly. It was an awesome ad. Uh, another few things, and then I'll turn it back over to you. Farmer Maggot, he's barely in the film. <laughs> he's, like, barely in there. Um, I did like this ad. I thought it was cool. Mary wasn't there originally, but it was during that whole what should have been, like, the mushrooms chapter. Uh, Mary, like, sits on a carrot, and he goes, I think I broke something. And it was a carrot. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was kind of stupid, but I thought it was a great ad. Back to you, man. <laughs> it's awesome, because that kind of puts me right where I'm at, too. You're talking about, like, with Pippin and Mary in the movie, like, they're stealing Farmer Maggot's crops. But like, in the book, it was actually Frodo who stole mushrooms from Farmer Maggot years ago, and that's why he was afraid to go through Farmer Maggot's thing, because Farmer Maggot had the dogs chase Frodo out of there. So, Mary and Pippin were not actually stealing any of Farmer Maggot's crops in the book at all. That was just a complete ad for no reason. I don't even know why they did that, honestly. Because, <laughs> like you said, you know, Mary wasn't even there. When they were doing the first part, they don't actually meet up with Mary until Farmer Maggot, mm-hmm. like you said, who's barely in this film at all, and all you see from him, you don't even see him. You just see, like, a, a sickle raised through, like, the top of, like, the thing, like, chase, <laughs> almost like he's chasing Mary and Pippin down. But, like, in the book, if you guys remember, they actually stop and eat at Farmer Maggot's house, and Farmer Maggot puts them all in his cart and drives them, like, with the, the horse and buggy to the ferry, and that's where they meet up with Mary there, because, like, they, they thought they saw another uh, hoof prints or heard hoofs coming towards them. I thought it was the Black Riders again, but it was actually Mary meeting up with them for, like, the first time of that all, you know, coming together after Frodo leaving Bag End. So that's, like, a huge difference there, because that just literally never happened in the novel. That's just something they decided to have some fun with. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, and then also talking about a little bit about Mary, he wasn't there when the Black Riders first caught their trail in the novel. So, like I said, they in the movie, they all joined up after Mary and... Uh, I'm sorry, in the novel, they, uh, they all joined up after Mary and... Um, they found each other at the ferry. But here, they joined up in the movie when they all were stealing crops from Farmer Maggot. So it was just... It really is a really interesting difference. That, that doesn't affect the plot line at all. I guess, in a, in a way, it kind of does, because that, you know, that's not how they all came to be together. Uh, I, mean, I guess all is well that ends well, but still, a little bit of a difference there. Also... And this, I do kind of like, I don't know, this is a, a really big difference, but I don't have an opinion one way or the other of which I liked more. Because in the, in the novel, I did like the fact that Farmer Maggot was like, he kind of buried the hatchet with Frodo and even gave him some extra mushrooms on his way and took them to the ferry to make sure he got there safely in, in his own cart and buggy. And that's when they all got on the ferry boat, like, you know, the, into the little boat there to kind of go towards Crick Hollow is what they were doing. And it's called Buckleberry Ferry. Where in the movie, they got chased to the ferry by the Black Rider. And that, it kind of added more of like a, a suspenseful addition to it, where he like, like Frodo was about to get caught and he jumps and just barely makes it onto the ferry. So I like that part too. It just was like very different because both of them were important in yeah. their own different ways. Because Farmer Maggot plays a certain role and, you know, going into a little bit more in just a little bit about other differences that weren't there. There's a certain somebody who has a, a good respect for Farmer Maggot, who's actually a interesting character that we talked at length about and even did some TikToks on, uh, you know, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So, you know, Farmer Maggot could have been, he could have gotten more justice done, but I also did kind of enjoy the fact that the Black Riders made it a little bit more suspenseful to barely making it on to the, the ferry. So that was interesting. And then kind of going into that, and this is just kind of ripping through things real quick on my end here. Like, there's no Fredegar Bolger in the movie, which is, like, Fatty Bolger, which is, like, another one of their companions that helped them get everything all set up. 
So there's no house in Crick Hollow that they go to in the movie, which was going to be the reason why they were going to throw the Black Riders off their trail. There was no passing through the old forest. And the old forest, that I think that was one of the bigger things that I wish the films would have done. I get there was a lot in there, but man, the old forest, they, everything almost ended for Frodo and the gang in the old forest. First, it was like the old man willow tree, and then Tom Bombadil, again, nowhere to be found in the movie at all. He sings to the tree, gets him out of there, and we get this really cool character who is not affected by the power of the ring at all. He puts it on, doesn't disappear or anything. He laughs about it. He can see Frodo, and Frodo puts the ring on and says, hey, get back here. You know, I can still see you. You know, So he's like this really enigmatic, interesting character just doesn't exist in the films at all. And so that was another one. And then on top of that, remember in the Old Forest, they had that run-in with the Barrow Whites that almost killed all of them <laughs> they had they had like the sacrificial ritual of them like adorned with jewels and swords across their necks and frodo woke up just in time to cut the hand off the barrow white none of that happens and and what's crazy about that too is gandalf even said the 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 running with the barrow whites and this is this is directly from the book was actually more of a danger to their journey than him getting stabbed by the morgul blade of the black rider and so that's good. Like that's actually stated in the novel. So that's crazy that they just left it out completely. So I, I know there's some things you gotta leave out, but like the whole passing through the old forest, I definitely think is something they should have kept in uh, in the films, but they decided to breeze right past it. And so that being said, there I know that was a lot in one little paragraph, but go ahead and uh, take take some differences from there, brother. No, man. I mean that was great. I let you hit the nail on the head on Bombadilio. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Old Tom Bombadil. We know all you guys have opinions on him. You left it on our TikTok page. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyways, uh, the next one I have going into like the Prancing Pony. Viggo Mortensen was perfect for the role of Aragorn, by the way. Absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed all the actors in here. And one thing I liked was the way he introduced himself. Uh, it was a little bit different because in the book... Remember when he introduces himself, he like tells him all about like the prophecy, basically, like I am Aragorn and I will see this, you know, see the blade reforged. It didn't exactly happen that way, but I do like what he said uh, when he meets Frodo. He says, are you frightened? And Frodo says, yes. And he goes, not nearly frightened enough. <laughs> I know what hunts you. <laughs> that was like sick. That is enough to like, I think every little boy in the theater was just like, <laughs> like, the eyes turned straight to the screen, man. Um, and then this is when Strider, um, you know, this is when we see, like, the Black Riders. This was really cool. They were screaming and stabbing the pillows. I thought this was a cool ad. It kind of was, like, it almost showed, like, they were trying to cause, like, a diversion. It reminded me of something from, like, The Witcher or something. If, uh, you know, Cirilla was possessed by... Uh, Bolathmir or something. They were stabbing the pillows. I thought it was cool, um, but then he tells the black, tells the group who the Black Riders are, and Frodo says, "What are they?" And Strider says, "They were once mentioned, great kings and men. Then Sauron the Deceiver gave to them nine rings of power. Blinded by their greed, they took them without question, one by one, falling into darkness. And now they are slaves to his will." They are the Nazgul, ring wraiths, neither living nor dead. At all times, they feel the presence of the ring, drawn to the power of one. They will never stop hunting you. And that was a badass monologue. I do like, it was interesting because like we found out about the ring wraiths 
really quickly where it wasn't like that in the book. So, uh, I yeah, those are my differences, man. I'll let you take it away. Sounds good. And uh, just to kind of give evidence to what I said last before I kind of take it from there of talking about the Barrow Whites, I found the actual page in the passage here. Again, it's going to be different for everyone's book because mine's paperback and it's a different edition. So on my in my book, it's page 246. Uh, this is talking about Frodo and Gandalf and talking about the dangers that he... It's just after Frodo woke up from like his wound in the, with the blade, he says... What happened at the ford, said Frodo, it all seemed so dim, and somehow it still does. And Gandalf replies, yes, it would. You were beginning to fade, answered Gandalf. The wound, the wound was overcoming you at last. A few more hours, and you would have been beyond our aid. But you have some strength in you, my dear hobbit. As you showed in the barrow, that was touch and go. Perhaps the most dangerous moment of all. So that's that's there there. So you're gonna leave out the Barrow Whites when Gandalf just said that was perhaps the most dangerous moment of the whole trip so far. Yeah, that was crazy. So, anyways, uh, to continue on some of the differences here, just a backtrack before they even uh, meet up with Strider. I thought it was interesting that you know not only did we talked about how they missed all those big things, but they just took the ferry from Buckleberry Ferry right to Bree. Like they're like they just yeah. decided. Yeah, everything else in between there is just gone. Like, you know, you guys remember, Tom Bombadil's the one that led them and their ponies. And that's another thing, too. They didn't have their ponies, where the Black Riders in the novel scared their ponies away, and they ended up going back to the Old Forest with Tom, or to go to see Tom anyways. Uh, so that was another little difference there. But they just went right from the ferry to Bree. Like, we just decided to skip a whole little passage. But anyways, uh, in, in the end of The Prancing Pony... There was no Hobbit assistant. They just left off Nob, the Hobbit assistant that was uh, like ha- helping out the bartender guy who owns the place. Uh, Mary also does not go to the bar common area in the novel. He stays behind in the room and then eventually goes off on his own. And that's an important part that, that they just decided to leave off because that comes into the black breath of the Black Riders that just is not mentioned in the movies. So that's the little key difference there I thought was important. Also... Talk about when they first met Strider here, when they're all in the bar common area. If you guys remember it, in the novel, Frodo and Strider are like having a mini conversation in the corner, and Strider's like, You better tell your friend, he's giving away way too much information. Like, you know, it's gonna be danger to you guys. So, what Frodo does, he like jumps up on the table and starts like singing a song and causing a distraction so everyone pays attention to him, and he ends up slipping off the table, and that's when the ring like lands on his finger and it disappears. Where in the movie, it's completely different. Pippin's sitting there, because all Pippin was saying in the novel was talking about Bilbo's party and how it was cool, and that he was leading up to the part of where Bilbo disappeared. Like, like and th- that's where he probably starts, like, you better go stop him. And that's when he jumps up on the table and does that. Where in the movie, Pippin's like, oh, I know a Baggins. Frodo Baggins, he's right there. Like, just giving it up. Like, the, I really feel like the movie made... Pippin look a lot more dumb than he really is. Like, I think really, uh, it got exaggerative with how uh, careless and silly Pippin can be. But that's uh, that was the difference there. And then Frodo, what he does is he runs up and grabs like Pippin to tell him to stop talking, and he slips on the guy's shoe, and that's when the ring flies up and catches his finger, and he disappears there. So that was a little bit of a difference. And the only reason I notate that because I really, like I said, I think they overplay how. Uh, how dumb Pippin is. <laughs> I like to say it bluntly, <laughs> you know. But uh, anyways, this is where uh, I was talking about Strider grabs him up to the room. They all have that conversation, and, and Mary's not quite there yet because he's having that run-in that he comes back from later where he almost got killed by the Black Rider, but Nob, the Hobbit assistant, ran out there with like the, the lights and kind of 
you know they they just ran off because they didn't want to deal with it talking about the black riders but uh, in the book if you guys remember strider wants to be their guide and he wants to take them to rivendell but sam's very suspicious of them of, of him and doesn't really kind of trust him and he goes through and tries to explain who he is where there's like kind of no explanation of who he is in the, in the movie at all and if you guys also remember the barman I forget his name, like Barlaman Butterbur or something like that. I think that's his name. Yeah. He uh, he brings a letter to Frodo from Gandalf, and there's like no letter at all in the film, and that's what actually allows Frodo to kind of feel like he can trust Strider because he makes that passage about like Aragorn and how he can trust this guy here and uh, what he would look like and all that stuff. There's no letter from Gandalf at all in the film, and I definitely think that was a missed opportunity. That's definitely something that should have been in there. Because there was also that really important passage that almost foreshadows who Aragorn was and like talking about like the blade being remade and all that. And that's another difference in and of itself. Remember, in this this is the chapter there we're talking about novel-wise. Like Strider shows the broken blade and his, like, he has it on him. Where in the film, and this is going to come up just a little bit, like it's somewhere else in the film. It's not on like Strider's person. So I thought that was uh, some pretty important differences there. But with that being said, I'll go ahead and uh, turn it back over to you. Yeah, man, back to Pippin. <laughs> pip, pip, cheerio. <laughs> so one thing I did like about this ad, though, so this ad I'm about to read, it's a quick little monologue Pippin has, but it shows, like, in the book how we were talking about how hobbits eat so much. So it was kind of like a cool, like, quick reference to that in a way. But Pippin talks to Strider Aragorn about breakfast. <laughs> he goes... What about breakfast? <laughs> Strider says, you already had it. And Pippin said, we've had one, yes. But what about second breakfast? <laughs> Mary said, I don't think he knows about second bref- breakfast, Pip. Well, what about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? Mary says, I wouldn't count on it. And then Mary catches an apple from Aragorn that he throws him. And then... And then, uh, or Pippin catches an apple from Aragorn that he throws him, and Mary just pats him on the back. But I thought it was a cool little ad. Like, it was not very important, but I thought it was it was cool, and it kind of referenced, like, how much they eat. Um, we do see Saruman the White calling upon Sauron with the mage ball. This is cool. Um, and then he says, The power of Isengard is at your command, Sauron, Lord of the Earth. And then Sauron, you see this interaction. He says, build me an army worthy of Mordor. And the orcs arrive. And then the orcs say, what orders, my lord? What does the eye command? And Sauron the White says, we have work to do. And it shows, like, all the trees burning. Uh, It shows Gandalf waking up at the top of the tower. And then uh, the orcs are like, trees are growing strong, my lord. And Saruman the White says, rip them all down. (laughs) And you see, like, then it cuts over to the ring race. I thought it was pretty, like, cool. I still remember watching that part in the theater in the eighth grade when this came out. And I was like, it was like that overpan of when they throw the tree down the hole and it, like, burns. And I remember watching it with my dad because this was back, like, like we knew, like, Lord of the Rings was the books. But I didn't know it was going to be this good of a movie with, like, visual effects back then for, like, 2001, right? Like, that was good for back then. And I remember, like, all the fire and stuff, and I looked over at my dad. And I still remember saying this when I saw that tree burn down the hole. I was like, oh, this is really good. (laughs) Yeah! So it was just a cool little ad they had with the dialogue. But in a quick side note, 
the guy that plays Saruman the White, uh, I watched this in an interview. He is the only one to ever actually have met J.R.R. Tolkien. And he had an interview with him when he was a kid only because he was a fan of the books. So I thought it was interesting. Out of all people, it was him. So back to you, Jay Nelly. Yeah, when you say the only one to have met him, I'm assuming you mean the only one of the cast, because I'm sure there's many people in the world that have oh, met well, out Tolkien. of the cast. Yeah, I don't, I don't think J.R.R. Tolkien lived alone his entire life either. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> no, that's really funny, and that's a good difference that you brought up too about like the Lampier, which is like the Seeing Stones, because they come up to play later in the novels, but they they kind of put it right into play here early in the movies. And that's a difference in and of itself. Uh, to kind of go backtrack again, remember when I was talking about that letter that Gandalf sent? I'm just going to read the passage again and why I think it was important. The fact that they left it out of the movie kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And just a little bit. Like I don't, I don't have like, the worst problem in the world with it. But this is what it says and how it, it, it foreshadows a lot of what's to come. It says, uh, Please make sure that it is the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither deep roots are not reached by the frost from the ashes a fire shall be woken a light from the shadows shall spring renewed shall be blade that was broken the crownless again shall be king so i thought that was definitely something that in that letter we should have gotten that in the films i definitely think that was something we could have used there but uh outside of that and you kind of brought this up too like the little kind of funny things about the hobbits eating that was definitely more detailed in the novels than it was in the film of how like how many times they had stopped for dinner and supper and uh, how they had like two dinners in one night with like farmer maggot and then also at crick hollow too uh, it just it was interesting that that was it was it was like alluded to not a big crazy thing to notice but i thought it was funny the one thing you said about the apples was great too but not only did mary catch the apple and give it to pippin another apple came flying over and smacked pippin in the face i thought that was yeah. hilarious that was <laughs> that really was funny <laughs> um here's another thing that the movies didn't show if you guys remember we we're talking about those dreams Frodo would have and sometimes it'd be like almost like they were premonitions the movie didn't really show those at all it just kind of showed what was happening along the way and so I don't, and it's not like a crazy difference. I don't think it's a big running theme or anything that ruins, uh, you know, the, the integrity of the storyline. It's just something I thought would, like, it takes 10 seconds to him wake up. Cause he, cause the movie does do that later on. If you remember, and, uh, I think it's the return of the King. No, I'm sorry. It's the two towers, uh, where I don't want to get too far into it. But Troy wakes up from a dream about a certain someone who they thought they lost. And that's all I'll say. Mm -hmm. So like, like that does happen the later on in the next movie, uh, you know, part one of the two towers. But it's just interesting how you know the, the just didn't seem consistency with that. So that's just another difference I noticed. Uh, going on from there, uh, in the books, Gandalf he went to Weathertop and had a scuffle with the Black Riders themselves and left Aragorn a sign that he was there. You know that little stone that had like the G three for like October the third. Like he was there in the in the novels in the movies he never showed up there he's like he never went to weathertop at all he like went straight from you know the eagle to like rivendell is what it seemed like <laughs> which is kind of interesting because that actually didn't happen that way either and i'll talk about that in a second uh also in the books fire was something that was encouraged at weathertop because mm -hmm. fire was something that the black riders feared where in the movie frodo yells at pippin for making a fire and making it easy for the riders to find where they are so that was another direct contradiction that this is the second one that was kind of big because Aragorn was talking to them saying, hey, build a fire, make it big. Like, you know, they, you know, the Black Riders have an aversion to fire. So this is like something that, that can be helpful to us. And then the movie is like, 
what are you doing? Put the fire out. And he steps on it. And like, so it just, I don't know. That was a direct difference and a direct contradiction between the novel and the films there that I don't understand why they did it. I guess I can say that. Um, going on from there, in the book, when Frodo gets stabbed by the Morgul blade, Frodo yells out the name of an ancient elf and actually cuts at the Black Rider's leg with his own sword before the Black Rider stabs him. In the movie, he just kind of drops the sword, freaks out, and puts the ring on, and then gets, you know, the, the ring starts to go towards the ring wraith, and he pulls it back, and the ring wraith then stabs him. So, I like, in the novel, at least Frodo had a little bit more courage. In the movie, he kind of just cowered down, and it was kind of interesting. So, those are some of the other differences I had there, and I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, man. Uh, right at that moment, actually, one thing I really liked, though, with the film part, you actually could see like almost like when he went into that spirit realm you can see the nazgul and like the crown they had well the nazgul are the actual um what's it called the 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 dragon things that they fly oh okay so like yeah like yeah the ring race themselves yeah but you could see like the crown the black riders had and like the men uh and kind of like how spiritually I guess not human they are when they stabbed him. Also, one thing that's cool, which I brought this up in our episodes, how Aragorn mentions they fear fire. This was fucking badass ad. Like, absolutely deserved to be in this film. It was fucking cool as shit. Like, he, like, fights them off with the torch in his sword. And um, the first one, he, like, smashed a torch against one of the wraiths. And then the other one, he, like, throws into the face of the wraith, and it, like, walks off. I, it didn't fall off the cliff. I wish it did. That would have made it fucking better. But, like, it hit him in the face and, like, goes off. And it was awesome, man. Like, Viggo Mortensen is the shit. It was badass. Um, then you see Gandalf is on the tower catching the butterfly, and he whispers to this butterfly and it was kind of cool it was almost i don't like the idea though is like he was like calling for help i guess but it kind of like alluded to where it was in the novel on like how he got off of the tower just like he said a couple weeks ago that's on our tiktok <laughs> your moment where he said i mean i can't think gandalf is that great he got fucking trapped on that tower for like two weeks <laughs> like two weeks on the fucking tower dude like come on man would have thought you would have climbed down with a magical rope or something at least like wonder woman but no trapped on the tower um and then uh the last thing i'll turn it over to you you saw the orcs like making armor and then this was badass uh one that you're going to actually talk about, like, the big moment here in a couple weeks, which is, like, the biggest climax of this film. You see, like, the elf orc that was being born and, like, coming out of the mud and stuff, and it just looked mean as shit. I'll turn it back to you, man. That's awesome, because that's kind of, like, really close to where I'm at here in my notes as well. Like, the movie made a, a point to have a centric orc. Like you just mentioned, him popping, they came out of there and like killing the one that made him. Almost kind of an allusion to like the Frankenstein's monster type of deal, just like creating something that's just a bit too strong, like for even than you own, than you imagined yourself. But that doesn't ex- he doesn't exist in the books. Like his name's yeah. Alerts, his name's Alerts, and he does not exist in the books. So it's just something that the movie took and ran with it, and it's actually not a bad ad. It's uh, to me like a, it brought a whole yeah. other aspect to it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, also. 
it was this is you know like i'm going to give you the majority of what happens here but the next kind of difference that i have on my end is that in the movie here it was arwen that finds strider and the hobbits on their way to rivendell where in the novels it was glorfindel and in the book glorfindel puts frodo on his horse alone and has his horse take frodo by itself across the ford where in the movie arwen rides him across so there's a few big differences there in the like getting through past the black riders from where they were after frodo was stabbed in the shoulder with the morgul blade uh i'll let you kind of go into more detail there but then the last two things i'll say here before i turn it over to you this is going to talk a little bit about what i was talking the differences with gandalf in the book the eagle that took gandalf off of the tower was actually sent by radagast like like you know because like that's he told him like i said radagast is the one but gandalf told radagast to tell the creatures of the earth about what's going on and so the eagle flew past there saw him and then he got it was able to get down where you were mentioning here he grabs like the moth or the butterfly or whatever you want to call it and like call basically has the the moth go find the eagle <laughs> so that, that was interesting there um but when he finally did get off the tower in the books he the, the eagle took him took gandalf to the rohirrim where he was able to get that horse called shadowfax and he rode shadowfax back all the way through to the beginning of the journey at Crick Hollow, then to Bree at the Prance and Pony, then to Weathertop, then to Rivendell. So, where the movie kind of just makes it seem like the eagle just flew him straight to Rivendell. <laughs> That's basically right. it. Like it was very strange. There was a whole other aspect to it. And you know, and Shadowfax is some is is a an important creature in in the novels. It's like one of the fastest like horses. And we don't get too much backstory just yet about Shadowfax even in the novels. But it's important that to me that it showed a little bit how the Rohirrim was already starting to be a little bit less friendly. Like Gandalf said, there was like, you know, and Rohan, he didn't get as warm of a welcome as he would have expected. And it, but that, that just kind of foreshadows stuff that's going to happen there. So it'd been nice to see that the, the movie take advantage of that. It just decided not to, I guess. But uh, uh, that would be the last one I have for just now. I'll turn it back over to you. And then you'll let you talk about uh, the fun differences between Ar- Arwen and Glorfindel. <laughs> Oh man, you know this is one of my favorite parts. This my I got to see this. Like this is my favorite part in the film and in the book Flight to the Ford and the bridge uh part of Cos Cosgul or whatever uh, it's called. It's called Kazadum. Kazadum, Kazgul combined the Nazgul part. Uh those are my favorite parts, you know. Flame of Udun. We'll talk about that in a few weeks too. But those are my favorite parts in the series. So these are like the only two parts I'll go in detail on. But like I, I had to bring this down. I really thought, honestly, like and I Glorfindel is badass. Like he is a cool, cool part in the novel. But I like the way they did it here because it showed more of a introduction into Arwen and Aragorn's relationship. And remember, it, it was starting off very similar to the novel. He was looking for that plant to try to help Frodo. And she puts uh, her elf blade to his throat. To <laughs> And it was kind of like more of a tease on her end. She did it on purpose. But put it to Strider's throat and says, What's this? A ranger caught off his guard? <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Because you know that's definitely not like Aragorn. And uh, Arwen says, goes up to Frodo, and it's just like Glorfindel. Like she kind of, he sees that big 
bright light says Frodo I am Arwen I've come to help you hear my voice come back to the light so it already kind of gave more of a sense like he was fading there uh, and Mary says who is she and Sam, uh, Sam says she's an elf and Arwen says Frodo and like looks at him and looks at the group and says he's fading he's not going to last we must get him to my father I've been looking for you for two days very similar to the book here there are five wraiths behind you where the other four I do not know and Aragorn says stay with the hobbits I'll send horses for you and Arwen says I'm the faster rider I'll take him and Aragorn says the road is too dangerous and Pippin says Pippin says what are they saying and Arwen says, if I can get across the river, the power of my people will protect him. I do not fear them. And Aragorn grabs her hand, kind of showing more of their relationship here. And now they have a back history. And Aragorn says, Arwen, ride hard. Don't look back. And Arwen then rides off. And all this is kind of, they were speaking elvish back and forth. And Sam says, what are you doing? Those wraiths are still out there. And I thought that was important because it almost made... Aragorn feeling a way which he doesn't doubt himself very often but it made it feel almost like what the fuck did I just do like I did I just put this in a bad fucking spot not only am I about to lose my girl but I about like if we could be fucked here like we could be effed real good and uh so you have this badass chasing I thought they did this really well in the film and it was super intense Arwen has Frodo on the horse with her whereas in the book remember Frodo is just on the horse by himself so I thought that was really cool because it was like almost like she was making sure like he didn't fade off and they're beginning to close in on her and as she's riding on her she hits a tree branch and it cuts her cheek and it showed in my in my thoughts here personally I think this was more intense because it showed how like she really didn't give a fuck at that point like you're just trying to shake these fuckers off and get out of there and get to the river uh, and then they're like inches behind her and then uh, they're kind of like in this fighter pilot top gun formation i thought that was an awesome scene it, it, it was badass it was super cool uh, and then you can see like the foam coming out in the mouth of the wraith's horses as they're coming out of her and i thought this was an amazing detail they put the poison coming out of Frodo's nose and his eyes as she's holding on to him, and his eyes are turning blue as if he's starting to fade into the spirit realm. So that was really cool. And she's just riding as fast as she can. And then the wraith reaches out at one point to grab Frodo, and then she screams. And she's, This was a great similarity because Glorfindel says this in the novel, and she's telling it to her horse, and she says, Norolim, Norolim, Asaphileth. And that means ride swift, like I told you in a few episodes ago. She keeps trying to shake them. Uh, and at one point, there's even a tree branch blocking the road, and she jumps over it. And then she gets across the river when the race stop. And this was, I thought this part was even better in the book, uh, better than the book. And Arwen stares dead straight at the wraiths. And the wraith says, give us the halfling, she-elf. And Arwen draws her elven sword above her head. And this is the most badass fucking line. If you want him, come and claim him. And it was absolutely badass. And then she looks at the water as they start to head across towards her. And she says, Nino Chinglir, Lasta Bethdire. Remo Nin Brunin Denin Elalire. 
Nino Chinglin last a bet dire, Remo Nin Brunin done an elire. And what that means in English is as waters of the misty mountains, hear the word of the power, rush waters of the Brunin, which means an elvish loud water against the ring race. And I thought that was absolutely badass. Frodo's eyes are like bright blue. The water rises. They did this really well to how it was described in the book. Um, I it was I maybe if like Arwen was like standing on like a rock like Glorfindel that would be cool. But I did like like the water rises and then flows down, forming like that white horse army, which just collapses in on the ring rates. I thought it was awesome. I thought they did this very well. Um, you have to, I understand you have to make some differences in the book, um, compared to the film. And this was one I was okay with. So I thought it was great. What'd you think of this part, man? I understood that, like, what I liked about it is the inclusion portion, you know, instead of giving it to another, like, powerful male character that doesn't really play a big role in the series... If, if Glorfindel played like a huge role later on and was a big key factor, I may have like not enjoyed the switch. But the fact that he only kind of plays that quick role and and where they're at in in Rivendell, it's not. It wasn't. I, it wasn't hard for me to appreciate the 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 swap that they did here. So they gave instead of like another like uh, a male role, like a prominent thing where male comes in and saves a day. They gave it to like a female in a time where that wasn't very common. Like in the early 2000s, like 2001, like this came out. Like I thought that was really that pushed the envelope for stuff. Like the, like the people who read the books are probably like, "Whoa, what's going on here? This isn't right." But like you said, they did it really well. It it, it even showed her having more power than what it would have because in the novel, Glorfindel didn't make the water do that. That was just the power of Rivendell as its whole, and Gandalf assisted. And we hear like Gandalf talk about that. He added like the horse portion to the water with his own magic, you know. So that was just part of like the defense of of the city of Rivendell itself. Where here in the movie, it's it, it shows uh, the power of Arwen in a way, and how she was able to draw this up and take care of it herself as you know an, an independent woman who can take care of herself and save the day. So I, I appreciated it for what it was. I think, like I said, if Glorfindel played a major, more of a major role in the novels, it may have like left a bad taste in my mouth, but I was completely okay with it. Yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, I do want to say this real quick, and I'll turn it right over to you. But one thing I did like was even after this happened, she was like holding Frodo, and you almost get this fear. Like, is this the end already? Like, it, this whole thing just started, and she was just holding him, and tears came to her eyes, and she was just saying no no don't give in not now and then she says what grace has given me let it pass to him let him be spared save him then it just almost seems like hope is lost and that's when you start to hear elrond speaking so it just gave me like this sense of it was more intense in a way in my opinion like it was cool reading it in the novel but like the way they played this out on screen in the way, just like you said, they gave the role to Arwen, it almost made you feel more attached to her character with the large, prominent role she played in the films. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, man. Sounds good. And this is kind of where we're in Rivendell now, and I, I already talked about like my differences I had with like Gandalf and how the eagle situation was and where it took him. So to kind of go past that a little bit, I'm at the part here where 
in the book there was this dinner where they were all invited to and that's where Frodo met Gloin which is actually ends up being Gimli's father and they have a big discussion and why that's important is because Gloin was one of the dwarves that was part of Bilbo's adventure in like The Hobbit so it's kind of cool to get a full circle there of Gloin meeting Frodo there was no such dinner in the movie at all and that wasn't so crazy that what didn't build a whole lot to the plot line at all just it was just a noticeable difference that i saw they left out because really they didn't even mention glowing at all in the movie it just they went right to gimli immediately you know so which is fine like, you know it's not the, like the end of the world but another thing there too is when gandalf was having his dissertation with elrond just those two and Elrond's like and now you tell me that saruman uh, tell me of saruman's treason like rivendell cannot hold out against the power of both isengard and mordor and Gandalf's like, well, his treason runs deeper than you know. He talks about how Sauron, what they did to create the Urukai, which are like orcs on steroids, basically, is that he crossed orcs with goblins. That's what created like that thing that Chase and I were talking about, that Urukai that came out of the weird, I don't know, skin flap thing <laughs> that they ripped apart. <laughs> the, the placenta, it looked like a placenta. But yeah, so that that's crazy. You know, he Sauron created his own creatures, basically. That's what it, what it really came down to. He created his own new master race of orcs in a way, I guess. Uh, then from there, in the book, like I mentioned this already, but this is where we kind of see, this is where Boromir comes in and has a quick conversation with Aragorn uh, about like the, the broken blade. So the broken blade is actually set on this statue of like a shield and the broken blade with all its parts were kind of staggered in a cool little position and across there was this mural showing the artwork of what it was when Isildur cut the ring from Sauron's hand and it was really cool how it showed that in the film but like I said in the book uh, Strider or Aragorn or what do you want to call him at the time he kept the broken sword on him at all times it's not something that was just left in Rivendell like as like a museum relic that's almost how I got it the feeling of it in the movie it was like there was just like this relic that you just looked at and appreciated because of its like historical significance where like i said in the book he just kept that shit on his ass he's like yeah this guy here's my broken hill right now <laughs> like, gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah. so i thought that was a, that was an interesting difference there and even talking about boromir too and they, they, i definitely think that the and then you kind of have to right to as a film dramatize things a bit more to make it more interesting but Boromir was much more of an asshole in the movie than he was in the book. Like, in, in the book, he did have questions, and he did bring, like, like uh, situations up and ask to use the ring, and I'll get into that a little bit more, but I'm just talking about just his personality. It was just much less abrasive at this point in the novels, and then as, as you go through the novels, maybe I'll change my mind and think he really was even worse or something, but to this point, like, he was just very abrasive with Aragorn, kind of being a dickhead, like, just really... Yeah, like just like I said, and I'll I'll say more about the, the council. I remember the one part is like Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. <laughs> yeah. Like like there was just no need for that, and that, that kind of stuff wasn't in the books. Uh, like, he even like dropped. You think about how how highly people hold this sword in esteem. He picks it up, like traces his finger on it, and it cuts me. He's like, oh, it's still sharp. Then he puts it back down. <laughs> he did and, say that. <laughs> yeah. He like he like drops it on the ground and looks back at it and is like, nah, I'm not gonna pick it up and walks off. Like he's kind of like a dick for no reason in the movie. That just wasn't like the same vibe in the novel at all. But uh, and then before I get more into what they go through in the council, I'll let you kind of catch up and bring your differences to the to the point where the council starts meeting. Yeah, man, I want to say this. It, it is funny. Like, you know, it's so wild. Like this was such an iconic piece. This film of this decade like ironically and i'm gonna bring it up anyways this came out the same exact year as the sorcerer's stone came out 
but this movie really launched Ned Stark, Sean Bean's career. So dick-ass Ned Stark got launched as the face of Game of Thrones because of this movie and what an ass he was. So, so uh, but yeah, dude, I, I was surprised about that. Um, one thing that was cool, I'll say here, was we do see... Saruman the White was holding Gandalf by magic against the edge of the tower, and he was like horizontal, like suspended. And uh, when he jumped on to like the eagle or whatever it was, he, you know, Saruman was saying, Embrace the power of the ring, embrace your own destruction. And Gandalf says, There is only one Lord of the Rings who can bend it to his will, and he does not share power and it was great because that's an iconic line <laughs> i loved it man he even yelling um you know elrond kind of gives this recount of a sealed door uh at one point and this is kind of like visually stunning um and he talks about like you know the peril and everything and how he was trying to stop a sealed door and he didn't and um gandalf you know it's very interesting you know i just uh, how he was talking about like it is men that we must place our hope in. Um, so, I mean, just... And then kind of here, like where you were. I did like this moment. You kind of see a little bit more of Aragorn and Arwen in their romantic relationship here early. Whereas in the book, you know, we're just now starting to even get introduced into Arwen. Much less um, their relationship. And Aragorn even gives... Uh, you know, Arwen gives Aragorn this necklace, and Aragorn said, I thought I had strayed into a dream, and Arwen said, long years have passed, and you do not have cares you carry now. Do you remember what I told you? And Aragorn touches the elven necklace, and he says, you said you'd bind yourself to me, forsaking the immortal life of your own people. And Arwen says, and to that I hold, I would rather share one lifetime with you and face all the ages of this world alone. I choose immortal life. Aragorn says, you cannot give me this. And Arwen says, it is mine to give to whom I will, like my heart. So I thought that was a very cool ad. It really showed how serious their relationship was uh, very quickly. And then we start getting into the Council of Elrond. So I'll let you take over from there. Sounds good. And I also think that we got to give Sean Bean more props than just saying that he was in Lord of the Rings and that was it, and that's what launched him into the he face was of Ned Game of Stark. Thrones. That was it. He did so, the island. <laughs> I'm an island boy. <laughs> yeah. Remember that movie, The Island? That was with like Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. He was yes. like the bad guy in that, and that's pretty much all I remember him in. Well, remember he, like, don't forget, he was in the movie we both love. Remember Troy? He was Odysseus in Troy. Okay, yeah, he was Odysseus. Yeah, man. Like, that yeah, was an awesome but... one, too. Like, he, he does really well in these, like, fantasy fiction films. I think he does a great job. You know, uh, it's hard to say that he was a face of Game of Thrones because he died in the first season. But uh, yeah. he uh, definitely, you know, he had, he kind of, his career kind of built up to that. You know, obviously, 
Lord of the Rings was he, he had this interesting uh, I don't know if they were films or sh- TV shows but he like played like a detective like Sharp or something like that it was like a British show but that was kind of the first thing he got really well known for when he was young young and then his first breakout role for sure was in uh, as Boromir in Lord of the Rings then from there in Troy he was Odysseus and then you know he had the, the other movies that led up to you know 2011 which was when Game of Thrones first premiered so he, he had his way up there uh, you know he, he worked his way through it uh, but anyways to get into the Council of Elrond a little bit. Just as like, there's a few differences I had here. Uh, in the book, Boromir and one of the High Elves, they needed to be convinced that the ring there was the actual ring of power. They, Elrond and Gandalf had to explain it. They were in the in the movie. They're just like, "That's the ring of power." They're like, "Oh, cool, awesome. That's the ring of power. Yeah, sounds good. We're gonna take your word for it." Like they didn't they didn't take the word for it at all. And like it's one thing if it was just Boromir as a man, but like one of the other High Elves was questioning it too. And I thought that built some level of importance. Because elves are known to be like the wisest, fairest of all creatures. So, you know, the fact that he needed to be convinced, I thought could have been put in there in some way, shape, or form. But those elves, like Glorfindel and the other high elf there that was questioning it, weren't even, uh, they didn't even make the cut for the movie. (laughs) So, uh, that that was interesting (laughs) that they just immediately accepted the fact that it's Ring of Power. Uh, In the book, also, Bormir tells the council about the dream he had and his brother had that, like, foreshadowed the council itself and you know that it was going to hold answers for him and talk about like the, the time of the halfling and Isildur, Isildur's bane like, making a reappearance in the in the modern world so those are some things that were just kind of left out in the movie like he did mention in Isildur's bane and he did say that there was a dream but it was there, there was not actually spelled out in that little paragraph excerpt that we got like word for word I thought you know it takes I don't know all two minutes to read that and I thought it was pretty important there so that was another difference I saw between like the council thing and in the book they were debating between three options of what to do with the ring in the movie there was only two options right in the book they're debating uh, either number one casting it into the great ocean for it to remain lost forever two using it against Sauron which Boromir suggested or three destroying it where in the movie it was either using it against Sauron or destroying it. And then when Boromir goes to grab the ring, that's when Gandalf starts speaking in the Mordor tongue and freaks everybody out. And, you know, he's like, you know, Elrond's like, oh, the, those words have never been uttered here. And he's like, I'm not asking your pardon. They needed to know. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool. And then the last two that I have, and this kind of closes me myself out for part one uh, of the movie differences, is in the book, Bilbo makes an offer to take it and they end up talking Bilbo out of it, where in the movie, Bilbo isn't even at the council. Bilbo's not there. So I thought that was definitely a difference. And then the last difference I have to close my like my differences out is that it seemed, like I said, everything kind of seems more dramatized in the film, and it should. But there is no huge, crazy argument like between Gimli and Legolas, like, oh, yeah. die before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. And then they all start yelling at each other, Gandalf and Boromir <laughs> yelling at each other. On. And there was like... <laughs> Like a whole like a uh, f- uh, fray and a fracas, so, like a little ruckus there going on at the council, all screaming at each other and stuff. Before Frodo's finally like, "I'll take the ring, though I do not know the way." <laughs> you know, like uh, that was like <laughs> they, they they were just so much more dramatic and, and more more contentious in the movie. Where in the book, it it wasn't like that at all. It was pretty much like a really tame meeting where people just like pass ideas on and like, "Hey, does this work? No, this doesn't work. This is why it doesn't work." Like, okay, like it was like more of like a cool-headed meeting where like in the movie it was everyone's blowing up on each other and shit. So, uh yeah, man, that's the that's the last difference that I have here on my end and I'll let you go ahead and take yours to the end of what you got. Yeah, man, and that's that's all I was going to take was this uh uh 
I, the reason I want to bring this up is because this line that your boy Boromir says turned into so many memes. It actually turned into one of his most famous Game of Thrones memes, which was, one does not simply watch Game of Thrones, <laughs> which was amazing. And this was actually a unique ad. I watched an interview on this with Sean Bean, and he said like he just randomly ad-libbed that. That wasn't even in the script. And it turned into such an iconic line. He says, one does not just simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that doesn't sleep, and the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddles with fire, ash, and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. And, like, the fact that he was able to ad-lib that is phenomenal. Like, it's great. And just like you said, like, that's when you even have Legolas, like, sticking up for Aragorn. He's like, have you heard nothing? <laughs> Lord Elrond said. <laughs> the ring must be destroyed, all that stuff. But it was just, like, I want to talk about this for a minute. Think of the actors that, you know, like, Really, I mean, I guess you could say Ian McKellen was probably pretty big already in this because he was like in X-Men, he was Magneto, all that stuff. But think of like the fellowship here. Like think of 10 years later, like the big actors that came from this fellowship, Gandalf the Grey, Ian McKellen in X-Men, all these big movies, right? Uh, Elijah Wood in all kinds of big shit. I don't really know what Marion Pippin did. But the guy that played Sam, he was Rudy. The Rudy guy. Everyone knows him as the Rudy boy. Orlando Bloom. He was, besides Johnny Depp, who else was carrying Pirates of the Caribbean? We know it wasn't Kira Knightley. Like, let's be real. We know it wasn't Kira Knightley. I don't really know much of what the Gimli guy did, but I'm sure he did something after that. And then... Uh, even like the, you know, we'll talk about some people later on, so I don't want to bring them up, but, uh, who else was in the fellowship besides those? Who am I missing here? So there was, uh, Mary, Pippin, Sam, Frodo, Boromir, uh, Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn, oh, and, and Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> like the biggest, one of the biggest ones of all. He literally was in, you know, Hidalgo. He did all that, you know, Eastern promises. Like, it's just crazy. Even, like, Liv Tyler. Like, and what's funny is, like, Orlando Bloom, she was talking in an interview. Like, it was his first role he ever did, so he was even afraid to interact with the public audience. So she was, like, coaching him through the whole thing. So it's just amazing how many actors came from this. And I said this on an earlier episode. They all got an elven in Tanguar, which is the elvish language, they all got one elven tattoo that only the fellowship has that they will have from now on. So I just think it's it's really amazing. But yeah, that's my last difference, man. What kind of thoughts did you have on this stuff? Yeah, real quick before I go into the thoughts on it, um, I, I did find the dream that Boromir had, and I'm gonna read it out loud. Mm -hmm. So this is like why I thought it'd be cool if they could just add these. I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sentences in. So it says, "Seek for the sword that was broken." In Ilmadris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. 
Like, that's all you had to do, man. Put that in real quick. It took me all of, what, 45 seconds to read that? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I thought that had been definitely an a, a important part to put in, you know, the, the dream that he had. And also, I found the name of the other elf that was questioning, and this is, uh, for me again, on page 280 on my book. It might be different in, in everyone else's, but Galdor of the Havens, who sat nearby, overheard him. You speak for me also, he cried, and turned to Elrond, he said, the wise may have good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate. Unlikely, though, that may seem to those who know less. But maybe not hear the proofs? And I would ask this also. What of Saruman? He is learned in the lore of the rings, yet he is not among us. What is his counsel if he knows things that we have heard? So like he, that's like me just talking about how he's questioning a little bit about, you know, how do we know this is the ring? They just accepted that it was a ring right away in the movie. And I know I mentioned that there, but Galdor was the name of the elf that was questioning along with Boromir. So those are just other things I wanted to touch on. But yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to ask me my the takeaways, because I know what we normally do is we give our ratings on it. You know, our, our, this part in the book, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, and this part in like the film on a scale of 1 to 10. I guess the overall takeaways were like, there were definitely differences. There was things that were left out, but there was also things that were added. And, you know, I don't, in a way... Up until this point, I think a lot of it really balanced out. The only thing that really disappointed me was the the lack of the old forest because that really could have been the end of the fellowship. Not even not the fellowship because it wasn't the fellowship yet. It was just the four hobbits. But that really should have been added. That's the only one I've got like a really big problem with is because that could have ended their journey before it even started. They they could have died in the willow tree. They could have died with the Barrow Whites. Like Tom Bombadil saved them and did so in a way while also showing that the great power of the ring had no hold over him. At least introduce the character. Like do something. Those that yeah. that that's the only. Like, but the, the thing. Like I know I'm being like critical of this one piece. That's the only piece I'm overly critical of. All the rest, like I said, we did detail a lot of the differences. But the differences they had, not a lot of it negatively affected the storyline to where there's huge plot holes to where it doesn't make sense. The, the additions they added, some of them are really fucking cool. Like, the the, yeah. the wizard battle was awesome. The the fight scene with Aragorn and Weathertop was cool. The switch to Arwen I'm definitely fine with. Like, it didn't change much about the storyline there when it was talking about, you know, getting him across the Ford to Rivendell. That was, like, that was fine. Um, yeah, I, I didn't love the fact that Gandalf didn't show up at Weathertop. Because it's like how you know they yeah. they made a whole point in that to make a clue for them you know and ranger rangers being you know who they are being able to decipher things and find things that other people don't that are easy to miss for other people like normal people definitely thought that would could have been added in there but you know for the most part the the differences that were there weren't negative they didn't negatively affect my thought on the storyline or where the book was going and it wasn't so far off to the point i'm like oh this is stupid like with harry potter we talked about it a lot there's so many differences like dude this just didn't happen this was just like really bad like you know what i mean like all, like the difference really that, that they had and the few things that were direct like can like, like contradictions had an issue with that but outside of that like you know there was that was only two that i, I found in this little part one here that were direct contradictions i'm like ah man probably should have definitely fixed that up like i mean and then one is silly right the one of the fireworks it doesn't do anything to it but gandalf yeah. specifically said no no one's getting any fireworks until the party and then the film he's like all right let's throw some off for some kids in the back like that was like that yeah. doesn't mean anything you know but like that that's just one of the things that i noticed like there was like the only one, maybe one major contradiction i'm just like ah we should have we should have showed like you know shored that up a bit so yeah, man. You know they, they they left off a few things. I wish they would have added in like the Black Breath of the Black Riders when they got Pippin at Bree. 
that or not Pippen. I'm sorry, yeah. Mary. We got Mary at Bree. Like that would have been nice to kind of get uh, some, you know, you know, shed some light on there in the film. Also, the letter from the barman letting you know Gandalf letting him know like Strider's a good guy and able to go because they had no idea. They're just like, all right, Strider sounds good. Let's go, man. You're right. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's just it's really, really interesting. But if you want to ask me what my ratings are, I would probably give the novel up until this point. I don't know. Like, there's a if I go for a scale of 1 to 10, there's just a lot of times where it was a slow read for me and I had to really push myself to get through some of those pockets of description and not a lot of action happening and a lot not a lot of important detail that I needed to know. So I'd probably give the novel somewhere around I would, I would say like 8.4 is probably fair for part 1 of the novel at this point. And yeah. honestly, like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it, man. I, I think I'm gonna give the film like an eight point five. <laughs> I think I'm gonna give the yeah. film just a little yeah. higher. Just like, like they're, they, they're really similar. They're very, you know, right, right there. Like I don't think it's, it, it was a crazy difference of, of rating. I don't think one was way better than the other. They're right around the same for me. Like yeah, there were the, the, the little kind of cool additions that they added to make it very fun on screen is what really did it for me. Like I said, that battle with the wizards, the. The whole like fight between Aragorn fighting off five black riders by himself, throwing fire torches in their faces was awesome. And then you know like, like Arwen outrunning the black riders there and taking them out with the water horses was sweet. Like you know, so those things I got to visually see instead of just having my imagination do the work. I, I'm just gonna give it like a little bit of a higher rating. I'm gonna give the book part one of Fellowship of the Ring 8.4. I'm gonna give the film part one of Fellowship of the Ring 8.5. And that's that's me. What about you, man? Yeah, man, and here's kind of the thing, is from a director's standpoint, I can understand why you wouldn't put Tom Bombadil in there, only from the fact of, besides the Council of Elrond, he's basically never brought up again. So I could understand how maybe the fact probably came up at some point where they didn't want to like confuse audiences, but... Yeah, you should have definitely put like some sort of reference in there. So that was like my big like disappointment with it. But you know, there was in I want to bring this up because we talked about this with Harry Potter. I watched an interview with Peter Jackson and the actors. This was the same interview where they were talking about the tattoo. When they went to New Zealand to film this film, Peter Jackson sat down with every single cast member, gave them a copy of the book. And said, I want you to know the book backwards and forwards just like you know the script. And that's word for word from that interview. You can watch it on YouTube. And I think that's a big thing here is even though they made changes in the scripts, I think that's why this film has been, these films are better than like the ones we saw in Harry Potter is they're still very similar in the overall majority of the story is similar in ways to the novel and i think that's great that's a big point i i you know i really enjoyed the visuals in the film and this is 2001 man i mean it's not like we had crazy cgi technology or anything like it was done really well like that whole top gun uh scene on horses with arwen was badass i thought the ring wraith fight which was very well making references kind of to the book with how they fear fire with aragorn was awesome um, I even like the ads with like the interaction with the hobbits and how it was a little bit more comedic and funny. 
Uh, and yeah, the wizard battle is badass. I'm going to give it to the film, man. I'm going to be generous here. I'm going to be generous here. I'm going to give the film an 8.8. .8. I'm going to give the novel... Because, like, that's the thing. Like, the novel I don't have a problem with, but it's a deep read. Like, it's like the way it's written in the literature, it'll take J.R. Tolkien two pages to describe they walked. They walked. Okay, that's all you had to say. I'm going to give the novel an 8.3. An 8.3. So I think that's fair. But... The movie wins on this one for you, man. Cool. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you want to? Do you have like any debates that you want to talk about or anything? Now, normally, we don't really do too much debates when we do the the differences episodes between there. But I don't know if you have anything else you want to, you know, discuss before we wrap up for the day or what. I mean, I really didn't have too much of a debate. Like, the only debate I really have is like, why would you not put Tom Bombadil in the film? But in my opinion i could see how i mean keep in mind you know like it might not have been just peter jackson's opinion personally like some things making a film you probably have to give and take on and keep in mind even the extended versions were like four hours so there's only so much you can put in there so they probably did have to be brutal with what they chose to film and not film so i could see why they wouldn't put it in there if he's not you know really mentioned at all after that but um one thing i will say one thing that would be badass like if i could do a private screening like you know how they do the rent out your theaters i would watch all three extended editions in the theater and just force myself to stay there from open to close like start at like 7 a.m and end at like midnight like it would be awesome i i would force jay nelly to do it with me too I'd, I'd get like the big refillable tub of popcorn with the coke so i'm fully immersed and i would say i'm pulling the friend card <laughs> like like jay nelly said there are a few that can <laughs> i would force him to do it <laughs> yeah any any other thoughts you had man before we kind of close out today and say our last thoughts here yeah, just uh, I disagree with you on this aspect. Like, I get that we the, the call might not have been just his or whatever to for Tom Bombadil's appearance in the film or not to have in the film, and you know having to cut things out for time, you know, time's sake because the films are four hours long. I wouldn't have such a problem if it wasn't such an integral part of their journey. Like the, these four hobbits very well could have died there in the forest like that then there would be nothing left to even get to you know the prancing pony and then awarded to rivendell or wherever like they were gonna die in that forest and they got saved by this character like i like i even don't want to explain him or you know go into his backstory or do everything or maybe if you want to leave out the the um like his wife or whatever you want to call her that who was in there as well fine leave her out but like like without Tom Bombadil, Frodo, Sam, and Pippin and Merry are dead. Like actually dead. Not just from yeah. the tree. Let's let's let's, let's like, argue that. Like get the tree out of there. Fuck it. The tree didn't do nothing. Fine. It's just regular <laughs> tree. They still went down to the Barrow Whites and got like like ritualized sacrifice just about before he came to his like senses and cut yeah. off his hand and they had to sing for old Tom Bombadil to come save their ass again. Like dude, like they 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 just it needed to be in my opinion it really needed to be put in because 
it was so important to the storyline. Without him, they die. They're not, they don't make it further than the forest. They, they die in the very, very beginning part of their journey. They're like, yeah, let's start walking. Shit, we're done. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, like, we're done. that's, that's, that's why, it. like, it, it just, that's disappointed me in, a, in and of itself is just that it does play a big role. Yes, I do, he doesn't get brought up in the film again. Or really in the storyline again, either outside of like a brief mention at the Council of Elrond, but he's still a big reason of why they're even at the Council of Elrond, you know. Yeah. So that's that's just my opinion on that there. But I'll let you kind of say like a few words, and then uh, I'll close this on out, and we'll get out of here for the day. Yeah, man. No, we got a, a great ride. You know, next week we're gonna you know back into fifth year again. We're really getting into the really intense parts of Fellowship of the Ring, which is badass. Uh, shout out to our TikTok followers. We're at 2,080, and we've just really been finally even getting on there this year from last year, so that's pretty impressive. We uh, had that debate about Gandalf and Dumbledore, and y'all did not hesitate to let me know your thoughts on that. So I did see them. Most of you sided with Jay Nelly, but a few of you, a few of you took my side, <laughs> which was good. I was really surprised because... We got a massive Harry Potter following on there, I saw. Don't worry, I see your comments. Uh, <laughs> so does Jay Nelly. So just a shout-out to you guys. We do see you on there. Um, yeah, so, no, just great stuff. Uh, thanks so much for all you guys do. You're the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. Uh, we got a lot of stuff planned this year, but just keep enjoying the ride, man. And I'll let Jay Nelly close us out. It was a great kind of segue from what you just said there about the TikTok and you know the social media stuff and the engagement and what we actually see from people who tune into the show. Because if you are just joining us for the first time today, please give us a like, follow us along, subscribe to the show. You can find us on all of the social media platforms that are available. Right, we've got uh, an Instagram account at official ridiculous patronus. We have a TikTok account. Chase was just mentioning at ridiculous patronus. We're on Facebook. Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, Twitter RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy. We have our own website that Chase kind of puts in clips of films to, to go along with what we're talking about at that point in time, which is really great. That's Ridiculous Patronus at blogspot.com. Uh, on top of that, guys, it, this is your first, like I said, you've been joining us, like fantastic. You know where to find the podcast, but if your first time you're kind of figuring out, hey, where can I find you guys? Uh, well, you can find us wherever you do get your podcast. So if you have an iPhone, you can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts. If you have an Android, you can find us on Google Play, Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on. We have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, you can find us on uh, Stitcher, Acast. You can find us on Podbean. Anywhere you do get your podcasts, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Sign off. off.